Hey gang, we thought it would be fun to end the year with something special. So we are making this an Automators Max episode for everyone. That's right. This episode is ad-free and you're going to get the additional Automators Max content at the end. I hope you dig it. Either way, this is our little gift to you as listeners for being with us throughout the year. Welcome to the Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my co-host, the one, the only, the amazing Rosemary Orchard. How are you today, Rose? Uh, I'm pretty good, David. We got feedback. Lots of feedback. We're going to have to do this more often, I think, because people have got questions for us. Yeah, it's so fun. We asked for questions on the last episode. We got a bunch of them. And mm. uh, actually going through them just triggered so many interesting automation questions that uh, we are definitely going to be doing this more often going forward. And thank you, everyone, for sending your questions. We didn't even get to them all, but we've got quite a few here we're going to cover today. And I think it's a great way to end the year, too. You know, Let's just kind of go through mm. some questions. Uh, lots of people doing interesting automation or have automation related questions. And uh, that's what we are going to cover today. But uh, I just wanted to wish you all a happy new year as we head into the end of the year and, mm. and let's do some automation. Yeah. Yeah. And for uh, those folks hanging around for automators max at the end, I've got a little bit of a teaser in that I've been diving into energy monitoring and uh, energy saving with smart home stuff. And uh, I think folks are really going to enjoy that. So uh you know, we've got a whole episode and then that to go through, David. Are we going to manage it today? Have you had enough holiday cheer in your chocolate this morning? There's never enough holiday cheer, but I am still going to manage it. We're going to be good. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's just let's just start digging in. Um, so let's start out with, uh, with Michael um, about reminders. He says, I have a recurring task every three days in Apple Reminders. Uh, can shortcuts easily move the task to and from my list uh, to, to do? And today, so he's got two different lists and he wants to move mm-hmm. the tasks through them. Uh, I'm thinking it could run at 11.50 p.m. Uh, this gives me time to appreciate my day's achievements today and then see the new to-dos in the morning. So the, the question here is, can you automate moving a task between lists? Yeah. And the answer to this is yes. But before we do that, I would like to ask if Michael has looked at Reminders Smart Lists, because Reminders Smart Lists might actually eliminate the need for this entirely. Because if you have a a Smart List, which just shows you all the things that are due today, then you don't have to go ahead and actually move things around. Now, of course, we can move things around, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But I feel like Reminders Smart Lists get overlooked at times because they are just such a useful tool. I mean, there is a built-in one called today with anything that is overdue or due today or actually as well the things that are nearby um, geographically if they've, if you've got geographical reminders on things. Um, there's also scheduled and, and and so on as well, but you can create your own as, as well even if you want. I, I even think that built-in list might be enough for Michael, the today list, because once you click it, then it disappears from that list, but will appear again tomorrow. Um, yeah. So the, there's a lot of options. One of the nice features they added with the most recent version of Reminders is you can split the today list into morning, afternoon, and evening. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. so and you just manually drag them. I, you know, Rose, I've been covering Reminders in the Max Berkey Labs the last couple months, and I am getting so much respect for this app. I feel like Apple. Ha- I mean, we did a show on it on Mac Power Users. And I just feel like Apple's team that is doing Reminders and Notes is like gunning for something better than we have typically got out of Apple. And and they're delivering. 
Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, like the fact that when I add a new list, um, you know, if you've got multiple accounts enabled, like I have uh, an exchange account and my iCloud account, then you choose which account. But once you've chosen, say, iCloud, you can actually tap to change a list into a smart list. Um, and the filters that you have there are pretty awesome. So um, obviously, you've got tag filters. You have date filters, which uh, look for any date, uh, today, on a day, uh, on a particular date, before a particular date, after a particular date, within a specified range or a relative range. So as in like within um, like the next one day, week, month, year, etc. But then there's even an option for no time, which would, I guess, solve Michael's problem of things that are just to do sometime, anytime, but they're not today. Um, or, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, all of the other options that there are. But I, I do think that this is like becoming a much more powerful app than, than people realized. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's nice to see that there are options there for like including and excluding specific lists and so on. I think for a lot of people, reminders have suddenly become the automation solution that they needed. Um, and maybe they do, they they don't feel like they need anything complex. It's still got the ability to just be a checklist app, right? Yeah. But it it's got it's got the ability to go from a okay, I was fine with a checklist app, but now I've got this thing that's more complicated that I need to manage. Well, you can still stay in 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 your in your app of choice and then get all those upgrades if you need to. And I use reminders for um you know things like when I get in the car or when I get out of the car, remind me to do this because that pops up on my phone and. Guess what? Reminders just has native CarPlay support. Yep. Uh, they have integrated so well into the operating system because it's from Apple. Um, so that gives you power features you don't get in even the most power user apps like OmniFocus. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that said, there are limits to the automation and reminders. Uh, like the smart list we were talking about, there are strange limitations like location that you can pick, like say it's in this list, but you can only run that for one list. You know, if you want to check for multiple lists, which is, it seems like a very common thing. Like if this is in, you know, this list or that list or that this list, you know, if you've got like 10 lists, you want to say it's in these three, it doesn't really do that. Um, oh, I thought you could include multiple lists, um, but I, I guess I uh, misunderstood that one because uh, I was using an any filter and I thought like I thought it included um uh, multiple lists, but it doesn't appear to be doing that for me now. Maybe I had a beta feature that disappeared on me. Once you use the list command, then it disappears. So yeah. when you, when you, let's, let's say, you know, uh, let's say it's in the reminders list. You say, but I also want to check to see if it's in the max Sparky list. Well, you don't get that option. You know, once you use it once, it's like the command disappears, which almost feels like a bug. I mean, why wouldn't they make it you know, available to include that. Or just make it a simple multi-select list. Yeah. I mean, they just, but they don't. And uh, so that's weird. Uh, but the the trick around that really is it has tags and the tag support is excellent. And you can have an include or exclude tag. So if you kind of, if you're willing to to live in the world of tags with your reminders, uh, I think that's the, the, the smartest way to go if you want to have complex um, smart lists. But Hopefully someday they figure some of this out and they, they fix some of these limitations. Yes, yes, I hope so. But in, in for the meantime, I think that uh, Michael can certainly get a long way with just looking at the smart lists. Um, but to go back to the original question of can you change the list of something in reminders, uh, the, uh, uh, the answer is yes, using shortcuts. Of course, uh, you can now. Um, because Apple relatively recently with iOS 15 added um, an action which allows you to edit a reminder. 
Um, and or specifically, it's it's for updating a reminder. So if you open shortcuts and then you go to the the app section, uh, if you're me, this will take a little while to load because you've got a lot of apps there. But once you've done that, you can find the reminder section um, and look, and there is this action called edit reminder. So you'll need to probably do a search in reminders first um, or find reminders, but then you can use this edit reminder. Um, and there's there's three sections of this. There's set. Um, which defaults to just set and you can't change that to start with. Um, and then there's detail and then reminder. So usually I do a, a find reminders um, action and then a repeat with each um, and use the edit reminder action on that. But once you you tap on the detail option, you can change the list, which is where it lives. Um, and then you can select which list you're moving it to. Um, so in this case, I'm guessing um, Michael's going to want to look for all of the tasks which um, are repeating, which are not due within the next 24 hours um, that are on, say, the um, today list and then move them to the to-do list and uh, vice versa. Um, but what is really useful is if you were to, say, want to set the tags um, of a list, once you tap on tags, if you go back and you tap on the set option, then you'll see that it changes to add, set, remove, and remove all. So if you want to add multiple tags to a reminder, um, then you just change the detail to tags and then and then you can update it. So that's that's another way around looking at that, um, which is really useful. But I think that Michael can definitely solve this. Uh, just needs to get a little creative with the uh, find reminders action uh, and then off to the races. Another clever trick with reminders is if you create smart lists, that have tags like our tag based smart lists. And then you drag a untagged task from like your inbox to that list. It applies those tags to them. It gives the criteria um, to it. So like if you have a list that says it has to be in project X and have two tags and you drag a clean task in that has nothing attached to it, to that smart list, it puts it in project X and adds those two tags, which is kind of a quick way to automate, you know, tagging and indexing if you're using a tag-based system. I, I I discovered that by accident and I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of neat that they did that. Yes, yeah, I think that's really cool. It's certainly a lot easier to do on, say, an iPad um, or a Mac than it is on the iPhone, though on the iPhone now, because um, you've got the ability to do, um, you know, sort of multi-tap. So if I pick up um, a task by tapping and holding on it, then I can then use another finger or Usually what I do is I'll pick something up with my thumb of one hand and then move around using the thumb of my other hand um, to, to navigate, to, to move this um, to, you know, wherever it needs to go. So you can do it on, on iPhone, but it's perhaps a little easier on bigger devices where you can, you know, multi-window, but it's very useful to be able to do that. Either way, I, I uh, still am with OmniFocus. It is the automation king um, for so many reasons, but... Uh, but I really want to give a thumbs up to reminders as well. I mean, it, they've really come a mm-hmm. long way and it's very reminder. It's very automation friendly. Definitely. Definitely. Caleb is struggling with shared notes. Um, so, yeah. so um, you want to talk through it? Yeah, yes, I will. So Caleb wrote to us and said um, that they have been sharing notes um, at the uh, place that they work at. So they repair vinyl 
uh, leather and cloth seats and sort of vehicles, boats, and restaurants, which sounds like a really cool job as a side note, Caleb. Yeah, really I was nice thinking thing. the same thing. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, so they repair pretty much anything to do with those materials. And part of the business is going to car dealerships and repairing vehicles there. So they look through cars, make use notes, write a small description of the vehicle with the year, the make, the model, stock number, a small description of what needs to be repaired, and then add and then Caleb adds a picture. So manager can. Um, look at it and decide, yes, okay, we do want this fixed or no, we don't want this fixed. And it's really easy with all the managers who've got iPhones because you can just share a note. Side note, by the way, Caleb, instead of sharing a note, I would actually have a folder for each garage and then share the whole folder with yeah. them because then then they've, then they've you don't have to, you know, uh, share a note every single time. You're just sharing a whole folder and that's even easier. Um, but the, the problem comes up with uh, those managers who aren't using iPhones, they're using Android. And Caleb would like to know if there is a solution uh, because they're all in on Apple, know nothing about Android except it's extremely frustrating like Windows with a lot of laughing emojis. Yeah, um, And I hear you, Caleb. Uh, it, it's one of those things. Collaborating cross-platform, a little tricky. Um, so I have a suggestion um, for you here, and it's actually something that is not one of my favorite applications, but it is perfect for this use case, and that is Notion, um, because Notion uh, has the ability to do sort of like a shared pages, but you can also have a folder with lots of shared pages in, and you can, if you want to, even you know take that and make it into a sort of mini database or, and similar. You don't have to do that, though. You can just have pages and share them. And if you want automation for this, then you also have the brilliant Nautomate, N-A-U-T-O-M-A-T-E by Alex Hay, maker of Toolbox Pro, which adds all of the automation options for Notion into shortcuts. So what you could do is you could even have a shortcut ask, you know, pop up and ask you for, you know, the make, the model, the year, the stock number of of the vehicle um, and ask you to take a picture. And then um, and then it could pop up and go, okay. Is this an iPhone or an Android person? Um, that said, personally, I probably go with put everything in one system and get everybody into to one place. So you, you use Notion to share everything with everyone um, rather than some of it goes into notes and some of it goes into Notion. Just because, of you know, f- for me, one of the things that I try and do is I always try and streamline my workflows so that there's fewer differences where I have to, you know, work around, oh, but because this person's on Android, I have to go and do everything like this, whereas this person's on Mac, so I do everything like that. I try to just have one system that works for everyone. But I would certainly look at something like Notion for this. I don't know if you've got any other suggestions, David. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're looking for is a common platform. Uh, And let me back up a little bit. The first thing is I would not be looking for a new solution for everything. Notes is working for you. It's a very good solution for that. Uh, so I would, with my iPhone people, stay there. I would not try and get one solution to solve all problems. I would stay with Notes with with uh, Apple people and Android people. I would be looking for something else. Now, um, you don't want to get something that requires your customers to buy an app. He had written an email. He said, I'd even be willing to pay for the app for the customers. But that just the whole idea of it is just not going to work. I, yeah, I went through the no, same. That's difficult. I went through the same thing when I was uh, in the law practice. At one point, I had moved a bunch of my clients into Basecamp thinking, well, we'll have this common Basecamp and, you know, getting your clients to adapt software for you never works. And I learned that lesson the hard way. Um, So you would want, rather than an app, you would want some common platform like Notion is great because they just get a link, they click it, they don't have to install any software and they see it. And Mm -hmm. that may be the best because it's 
uh, you know, quote unquote user friendly. I mean, Notion really isn't that user friendly, but compared to the other options I'm about to share, it is because I was thinking the Google app suite is a good one too. Like you could do it with a Google Doc or possibly a sheet. You could do it with an Airtable sheet. But, you know, wanting to put the pictures up and everything, I think Notion may be the best piece of that. But what I would recommend to Caleb is just take a look at several of those and see which one you're most comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. then try sending it to, um, you know, your wife slash girlfriend slash some friend of yours that is not tech savvy and just beta test it on some friends and say, hey, how hard is this for you to understand? You know, make a funny list, like what's your favorite movies or whatever, but have them check the boxes and look at the pictures and find which ones land for them the best. And then you share that with your customers. But but it's going to take a little work on your behalf either way. And and at the end of this, the product isn't as good as using Apple Notes. So keep that for your for your folks that are on Apple platforms. Yeah, one of the things I did just think of is um, notes sharing actually doesn't necessarily need the other person to be um, on iPhone um, because um, there is notes in the cloud. Um, So if you were to share a public link with somebody, um, then that would be uh, a little easier. Um, Now, the difficulty with that is, um, you know, if... if, uh, if they if they open it on something that just doesn't really support it very well, it's really difficult to test like what it's going to look like because there's so many different Androids um, and so many people have got different network setups and everything that you may find that you you send somebody a link and it works with Manager A at Garage A and it doesn't work with Ma- Manager B at Garage B even though you know they they they're both on Android. Um, so definitely do some exploring there. But I'd I'd probably looking be looking at something like Notion um, because when they open it, it's just a web page. You can have stuff that they can fill in or they can just reply and send you a message and say, yes, please fix this. Or, no, we're going to leave that one. Um, so, yeah, uh, fingers crossed it works. You know, it just occurred to me, maybe Craft would solve this problem too. Because um, mm-hmm. you can publish a Craft page. Um, but I haven't expl- experimented with it with a non-account user being able to add feedback to the form. But you may want to take a look at Craft. That may do it too. And that's a much nicer app than Notion. Yeah, yeah. Though I have to say, Notion has come a, a long way, especially um, now that they have the API and everything, which is how Notimate came into existence. Yeah. All right. Well, there's some options, Caleb. Let us know how it goes. We got a bunch of email about home automation. Weird, though. Uh, several of them were asking about doorbell camera uh, recommendations. I don't think we've ever talked about it. as much as we've covered automation. Uh, we haven't gone down the doorbell camera rabbit hole. I think Rose probably have you installed one in your in your home? I've got three running around, not in my <laughs> home, but across three homes because I have okay. my house, of course, my parents yeah. have their house, and then they have their place in France. And so there's there's three different solutions running around there. And um I I have a common theme with every single doorbell camera, which is none of them are great. Um every single doorbell camera seems to have a flaw. You know, like rings decent, but then you have to pay five dollars a month for the recording options. Um, and then Newfie's fine, but they had that whole thing about they didn't accurately disclose yeah. that mm. if you were having like images um, sent to you, that it was being uploaded to a server. Which, I mean, to me as a developer, it's kind of obvious that that would be how it worked. But I understand completely why people are very upset about this. And Newfie should have done a better job of explaining what it is that was happening and and how and why. Um, 
the Ned Atma one, I believe, or was it the Logitech one? Um, like uh, they're they're both big. Um, and one of them overheats in sunshine. Um, like it doesn't have to be warm, but if it's just indirect sun, it just decides that it's too hot and shuts down. Um, and most doorbells don't have HomeKit support, um, which is just kind of rubbish. So I I don't know, David. Like I, my parents have got a Eufy doorbell. Um, they just have it record to um the base station and i'd already set it up to just send them a, a blank like a, a text-based push notification when the doorbell was pressed it wasn't sending them any images so you know I, there, there was no problem with that the one that they've got in france is some no brand thing which does power over ethernet um and it's okay it's not great um and the one i have here is one that doesn't exist anymore which is the ring peephole doorbell um and the reason why I have that is because I live in an apartment or a flat and I didn't really want to start like mounting doorbells to frames or something. I wanted something that I could just pop into the door. And that was the only option at the time. Now I have a 3D printer. I could, of course, you know, grab pretty much anything. But I've I've not seen a lot of great options out there with HomeKit support, um, which is a bit of a shame. Pretty much everything requires you to go through scripted uh, S-C-R-Y-P-T uh ed um that's uh, a, a great solution that can like bridge pretty much any camera into HomeKit, um or um you know some some other workaround to get into HomeKit, which is not amazing what are you using right yeah, now? yeah i i'm using the eufy and i want to talk about eufy as soon as we finish this but i bought it years ago and when i bought it they had a post up in their forum that they were working on HomeKit. And that never happened. I mean, it's been years. So I've always been a little disappointed. Um, I don't remember where I read it now, but, you know, I felt like the company did kind of break a promise about that, that they were going to add it to HomeKit and they didn't. Yeah, that's it's one of those things that their doorbell department is a different department to their camera department. So the cameras have HomeKit secure video. If you buy a HomeKit compatible camera, there are cameras that don't have HomeKit secure video. But the doorbells are from a different department, which is the lock department. And so they don't have HomeKit support. But some of the locks are now getting HomeKey support. It's uh, it's confusing. It's one of those things where they're a huge company and they're more like Samsung than most people would think. So there's a lot of you know different departments that don't actually talk to each other. So just because they have technology in one place doesn't mean they actually use it somewhere else. And that said, I really haven't missed it. Um, the, uh, the way it works is it, it rings and whenever someone pushes the button, it, it takes video whenever it detects motion, it takes video. And occasionally I will go back in the Eufy app and look at what it captured now. Um, so I have been satisfied with it. I understand why people are upset with Eufy. I am too, because I've recommended them on a podcast and then this whole thing went down. And for people who aren't aware um, uh, some security uh, folks figured out that Eufy was uploading some images from the cameras um, as part of their their system, and then when they were asked about it, they said, "Oh no, we're not at, we're not doing that at all." And then, of course, the security researchers proved that they in fact were. So there was a misrepresentation, and I think they really did mishandle it. I don't think this was uh, malice. I think it was probably just you know some mistakes were made. You know. As they say, mistakes were made. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one of those things. Uh, doorbell cameras, I have to say, having a HomeKit doorbell is a great thing because I have my Ring doorbell bridged uh, through scripted into HomeKit. Um, and I, I love the fact that if I'm watching TV, it pops up on TV when somebody appears at the door. 
So then I just hit pause and I like I because I've already seen them coming, like I see them wander up to my door. I, I know that they're coming. So I've already hit the pause button. I check to see whether or not they're coming to me and then I'm at the door to meet them, um, which is, is great for, you know, delivery people and so on. So certainly advantages to it. Um, but my my personal recommendation would be to look for something uh, doorbell wise um, with uh, like RTSP support or something that say scripted supports and then if you have like a Raspberry Pi or something at home um, then you could run scripted on that or if you've got like a Synology NAS you can run it on there too if it supports running Docker containers um, and to sort of work around something um, not having HomeKit support that way um, but look for something with good reviews where um, you know people who care about personal security and privacy uh, have reviewed it and say yeah this is cool uh, and we like it. You know, I, I'm not getting rid of my Eufy stuff. I'm fine with it. Um, but I'm also not sure that folks listening to this will be happy to to hop on the Eufy bandwagon unless they're already there right now. Yeah. And for my, the way I decided, because I've already invested a lot in Eufy and the, the external facing cameras are still turned on. I don't care, you know, if they even upload some stuff. In my case, they may get a picture of a skunk or a rattlesnake once in a while. But the um, but the interior stuff I have turned over to HomeKit, which means that the resolution drops down to 1K. But, you know, I, I kind of like having HomeKit manage anyway. I really trust Apple for something like that. And even then, I've got my cameras. If I'm home, my internal cameras aren't running anyway. So they only turn on when I leave. So it's not that big of a deal. But, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. But I, I do think I agree with Rose. It's very handy to have a doorbell camera. And um, and I understand it's, it's frustrating because it's just not a clear solution. Hopefully, as matter kind of gets more distributed out there, uh, some of the problems like this will go away. But I still think we're a year or two from that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of those things um, where uh, matter is a, a lovely concept um a thread is a great protocol um just so folks know i saw a really uh, good description of this um in the home assistant discord the other day um which is um uh, for anybody who's going wait matter thread i don't really understand matter is kind of like being able to say that something is homekit compatible um where you know like it, it it supports connecting with devices in a particular way um so that you know they're all going to be talking together Thread is Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or ZigBee or Z-Wave and so on. It's how it talks to something. So something can be matcher compatible, but it may not be thread compatible. Um, and vice versa. You can have thread you could have thread compatible things that aren't matcher compatible. Now, that's that that particular one is unlikely, but in in general, you know, just keep an eye out for for this stuff when you're looking. But I think it's gonna take a while for this stuff to really kick off. You know, we're seeing more devices pop up with thread support. We're seeing things like the the Amazon Echo devices have matter support. They've got like phase one of it, phase two starting to roll out early next year. Um, Amazon has said that they'll be announcing at CES how they're going to add iOS support and HomeKit support to this stuff, which is pretty great. Um, but the thing that I'm excited about, David, with matter is specifically that devices are going to ha- have to be able to connect to like five hubs. Okay, so you're going to be able to connect something to, say, an Echo system, a Google Home system, and um, HomeKit, and Home Assistant, um, and HomeBridge. Let's let's throw in a fifth one there. So it it should be able to connect with all of them at the same time um, to for to talk to each other. So that doesn't mean that you're going to have to say like, well, I've got a choice. Do I want to use this with you know the the native app or HomeKit? It'll be both. 
it'll be yes and instead of either or, which is, I think, pretty cool. So fingers crossed it's going to bring great things, but I seem to already be benefiting from a lot of what Match is going to bring thanks to the fact that I'm using Home Assistant. Yeah, and I really think that we people also lose track of the thread. You know, there's a thing in productivity called the gap, not the gain, and um, where people look at the gap of how far they have to go rather than how far they've come. And home automation really fits in that to me. I feel like we've come so far with home automation and things that used to feel impossible are now pretty easy. And uh, so I'm really curious to see where this goes. I am super into it. I've been having a great time automating my studio because it's like my space so I can really do whatever I want in here. Uh, I am waiting for that human presence sensor. Rose, I ordered that the day you and I talked about it. That was like two or three months ago on the show. I I cannot wait for that thing to show up because it really does cause a problem for me not having it just say, okay, there's a human in there now, and now there's not a human in there. If I just get that reliably into the system, it changes Mm -hmm. everything, you know. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed it does. AliExpress, put me at the top of your list, please. I have to say, David, after two to three months, I just I don't go back and double check on the postage stuff there in case it got stuck at like customs or something. Like I I I generally wait like two, maybe three weeks for stuff to arrive uh, oh, from wow. AliExpress. Wow. So it's it's been a little longer recently, thanks to the fact that there's been a lot of UK postal strikes and you know similar. Um, and uh, you know, fingers crossed, they they those folks are actually gonna get the raises that they deserve. But uh, you know, generally my stuff arrives in a couple of weeks, so definitely go back and double check on the postage there. Oh, okay. Sure. See, I thought it was just like you'll get it when we decide to send it to you. <laughs> so, okay, I need to look into that because that it has been much longer than two or three weeks. Uh, we don't talk about Windows enough on the show. You know, this is the automators. We're not just about Mac, but, you know, that's a lot of the stuff we talk about. Um, we got an, a Windows email from Gavin. Uh, you know, he's been trying to figure out how to automate Windows 10, and he found a thing called the Task Scheduler, and it has a ton of extendability with special triggers and the ability to run programs with command mm-hmm. line options. Um, yep. He said, I'd love to hear a podcast in the future about how you could uh, leverage some of this Windows technology Um, I think uh, for now, I just want to point that out. If you're out there and you're on Windows, task scheduler is a thing. Um, It sounds like sounds like Gavin kind of stumbled into it. And yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 been there for a while. I think I remember using Windows XP. It's it's one of the common ways that you can uh, set up applications to launch a startup on Windows. Um, It's definitely worth looking into and checking out because, you know, as Gavin said, you can run stuff on a schedule. Um, you can run um, things with command line parameters or just scripts. Um, and a bonus, Gavin, if you if you look into it, you can open web pages at certain times as well. Um, so that's definitely worth looking into. Um, I don't actually have a Windows machine anymore, David. Uh, anywhere. Um, yeah, me either. So uh, it may be a little difficult for us to actually do an episode on this. But I bet you we could find a guest um, to, to come on and talk about how they are automating things on Windows. In fact, if you're listening and you're a Windows automator, you should reach out to us. Yeah, or if you, you're like, oh, I don't know if I, I deserve that title. I'm a wannabe automator. Reach out anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I just just recently I took off my my uh, my Parallels install because I just don't use it, and it's just too much work to keep it up, and it uses a lot of drive space. But, the um, yeah, I, I just don't use Windows. But I will say Microsoft has always had a healthy attitude towards automation. Like I remember – as a lawyer, I used I wrote a ton of programs in Word Basic. Did you know that Word had its own programming language? And um, I, uh, I, you know, I used to generate a lot of lawyerly stuff. 
uh, based on programs I'd write in that in that Word Basic uh, application. And th- there's just really cool stuff on the Microsoft side, and I'm always happy to to hear about that. I'm glad they're still doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing a lot of stuff in Visual Basic for Excel and similar. So, you know, it's it, it, there's plenty of options out there. It's just maybe not quite as user-friendly. It is kind of sit down and write a little mini script for it rather than drag and drop a couple of blocks around and keep on Maestro. But it definitely works incredibly well. Kirk wrote in about image automation. He says, I have a folder with bracketed images. He's a photographer, and I'd like to take five images at a time and put them in a folder then have the next five go to the next folder until all the images in the main folder are in subfolders. Sometimes there could be up to 150 images or more. Naming isn't a huge deal since I can easily rename the folders at the end. However, naming them sequentially on creation would be a big bonus. Uh, currently, I'm doing the whole process manually. Ah, the, it just it gives me pain to read Ouch. that sentence. Yeah. yeah. And it's not a big deal. Uh, Kirk, it is a big deal. And it should be nice to automate it. So, Rose. Oh, yeah. How are we going to solve this yeah. problem for Kirk? Well, Kirk has said automator or shortcuts. Like, automator and shortcuts can do this. They yeah. absolutely can. I'm just going to say, let's let's sidestep here. You could do this in automator or shortcuts. I feel like it's going to be pretty darn painful to do it in either of those. I would jump straight to Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. Um, because if you do it in Keyboard Maestro then it can get all of the selected items in Finder and it can iterate over them and you can set variables and then create folders based on that. And so you can name those sequentially, easily, automatically. I am, I'm going to say 99.8% certain. I'm going to leave myself a 0.2% flexibility that if Kirk were to go to the Keyboard Maestro forum and say, hey, how would I do something like this? I've got started with the repeat with each selected item in Finder and make directory stuff, but I'm kind of stumped on how to do the rest of it, somebody's got to have a solution for them in 48 hours. Yeah. Maybe a little longer because it's the Christmas period and so on, and I'm sure a lot of folks are uh, taking a little break from the internet, but I'm pretty certain that you're going to get multiple suggestions on how precisely to do this. But I'm you, you can definitely do this pretty easily with Keyboard Maestro um, off the top of my head. You know, like I don't have like one uh, an automation that will do exactly this, but I have automations when we finish recording automators will create the folder for the episode and move them into there um, yeah. just automatically so that, you know, uh, our lovely editor Jim has a slightly easier time of finding all of the episode uh, files that he he will need for for the editing. So um you know, I'm I'm pretty confident that that can be done with Keyboard Maestro. Like, I think you can do it with shortcuts too. I just feel like it's going to be more difficult than it needs to be to do it with shortcuts. Yeah, uh, file management tools. Um, even though uh, shortcuts do- does have some of those now, Keyboard Maestro has more, and it is more customizable for this problem. And this is absolutely a solved problem. So. Kirk, let us know, but it, I, I don't even think you need to go to the forums and say, I've done this much. You could say, I'm a keyboard maestro newbie. I just bought the app, but this is the problem I need to solve. Can anybody help me? And you get help. I mean, they're such generous people there. So you're good, Kirk. If they you, are, if you can't get it figured out, send me an email. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But I think if you, you spend like, you know, 10, 15 minutes playing with it, you're probably going to get a fairly good start on it already, yeah. especially if you've seen shortcuts before. You know, the, there are similar actions. They, they may not have exactly the same name, but there there's definitely going to be commonality between them. 
And honestly, Keyboard Maestro, you're going to love it as a photographer. It's got a lot of very useful tools in there that are just going to make your life easier. Yeah, I thought for a minute if he should look at Hazel for this. Hazel's very good at file management and naming. But because of the way it is the sequential five and then the next five, um, there may be a way to do it with Hazel, but I think Keyboard Maestro would be the easier solution for this. I'm sorry, there may be a way to do it with Hazel, but I think Keyboard Maestro really is probably the right tool for this one. I would suggest that because like this is going to be a folder of images um, and it's going to be a new folder repeatedly, Hazel would be the wrong job for this. Hazel would be the right job to just watch a folder and permanently do this. Yeah. Um, but it it's not the right tool necessarily. I mean, I have done this where you can just be like, okay, I just want to organize all the things in this folder. Hazel, have at it. Um, but it's not something that I would be turning to every single time I wanted to solve this problem. I would, cr- I would solve the problem once in Keyboard Maestro. And then just, you know, select the folder or the files in the folder and run the macro and be done with it. Yeah. And if you want to be really clever, you can get yourself a stream deck and you get KM link and then you push a button and it happens and you feel powerful. Yes, exactly. We're going to talk someday about my stream decks, Rose, because I have more now. Oh, no, David. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. uh, I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm I'm going to tell people. I'm going to tell people. David sent me a picture. Okay. There there are so many stream decks in the picture. I can't count them, David. Yes. Yes. I was trying to figure out how many buttons I have now because I got two XLs. So I have. You have two XLs and a plus. Okay. So you have 40 buttons. Four knobs uh, and like and and so those four knobs are technically also buttons because you can press them, but they can also turn left and turn right. Yes, I know. Um, and, a- and, and then you've got the touch screens, and then you've got the pedal, which isn't visible in that screenshot. Yes, but, you I, know. Know. I know it's starting to look like an F sixteen in here, but I love it. <laughs> I mean, the pedal's super useful. I'm using it right now as we uh, take notes for the show. So, yeah. We got an email, and this Jeff wrote in about window resizing and management, and that this is like red meat for Rose and I. We cannot avoid when he sent this email. I'm like, oh, this is definitely going in. And we uh-huh. were we were talking about moving and resizing in episode 72, and I explained that I think that keyboard master is a little clunky with it when you're using percentages or uh, pixel counts to set your window sizes because you know if you change your screen size or whatever, it's just always clunky. Uh, so he says he has a better solution. He has a keyboard maestro macro, which gets and displays the current mouse coordinates in a pop-up window triggered either by a hotkey or a stream deck button. Boy, man, Jeff is my kind of nerd. I can tell you that already. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then he positions the window he wants and moves the resize exactly where he wants it on the screen. He moves the mouse to the top left position of the window to trigger get mouse coordinates macro, which is something you can do with keyboard maestro. So you're getting the exact location on the screen of the mouse then you go to the bottom right you do the same thing and then it drops the window in between those two spots and uh, that's very clever and he can configure it with a keyboard maestro macro I, I thought that was kind of a fun way to resize window so you just put the mouse at the top left and the bottom right you trigger the yeah. coordinates in each one and you make the window fit in between those two that is an easy macro to write, and uh, I think that would be kind of fun. Well, what I really like as well is Jeff saying um, that he has like a, a pop-up screen appear on the window with the coordinates of the mouse as well, so yeah. that he can then actually use that in other things. Now, what would be ideal here is then if you can just have Keyboard Maestro like dynamically figure that out and then be like, okay, so like left 50% um, or left 30% um, is this, or because I'm not on an ultra-wide, I'm going to do left 50% and so on, which... I'm sure you can do is good require perhaps a little more work. Um, but I, I don't think I'm going to be moving away from Moom anytime soon, 
But Keyboard Maestro, I am very grateful, has the ability to move windows because I do have it move, you know, windows to different displays and so on. And um, I don't know if you've discovered this, David, if you disconnect a display from uh, your Mac, like sometimes the window will be like 95% off the screen. So you just have to look for it and you're like, where is this? And then there's like the close button is the only bit of the window you can grab. That's where Keyboard Maestro's moving windows comes in. Because I'm just like, yo, Keyboard Maestro, stick this in the middle of my window, yeah, please. Get it back, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. And uh, and it does it. I have I have a hotkey for that, and it just it just solves that problem, which is brilliant. Yeah, I like you. I really have kind of evolved to just using Moom, and you know, Moom has an Apple Script support. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but you can run an mm. Apple Script. It's a one line Apple Script that triggers a Moom preset, like. Before we record, I have a podcast recording Moom setup that puts, you know, the Safari in just the right place and the recording software in just the right place. And it just runs an Apple script and it does that for me. I have that same thing, David, but I've got it in a bunch action. Yeah. So bunch will open all the apps that I need and then it runs Moom to to shuffle everything around into the right spaces and so useful. I absolutely love it. I mean, bunch is really probably the best solution for this. Keyboard Maestro is probably the second best solution. Lately, I've been playing with coding those setups into shortcuts just as a as a curiosity. You know, as a nerd, I just want to see if I can do it. And, you know, you do get some tools and shortcuts you don't get with Bunch. Um, but ultimately, Bunch is so much better at this. With, with um, shortcuts, it, it gets confused about whether the app is open or not. And if you try to open it, it, it just shortcuts isn't quite ready to do setups the way that bunch can do it so easily. Uh, but in in any of those, you can run that Apple script at the end. So you say, all you got to do is splatter those windows on the screen. And then you use the magic of Moom and that Apple script to set the windows exactly how you want. And if you're someone who always wants them in the, in the same place, this is a great solution. Now I get the impression that, um, that Jeff is, um, is probably wants to change the setups a lot, you know, because he's got this thing where he can just put his mouse there and say, okay, now put it there. And if you want to change them more frequently, I don't think the, the Moom Apple script thing is necessarily the best. Although you can always adjust them in Moom. You can go and say, you know, overwrite the existing setups with the current one and then you're, you're good. But, but I, uh, I really do like that Apple script. I don't know why I can't just use bunch and be done with it. I always want to try different ways to do these setups, but if you're if you're an automator and you haven't figured out how to automate your your computer setups, like say I want to write, I want to do accounting or whatever it is you do to pay for your shoes, uh, boy, setting up that screen so it automatically puts itself in the exact context of what you need to do, that is some really well spent automation time. I would tell you that's a good thing to do as you head head into January if you haven't done it already. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely one of those things of like, if you have meetings on a regular basis or even a not so regular basis, like knowing that like certain certain windows will be closed, other applications will be minimized and put out the way and so on. It's just so useful. And also, you know, in my case, because I then do run Moom uh, through part of this, it also, you know, moves whichever application I'll be using to talk to people front and center. Um, so that, you know, they're right there, which is just really, really handy. And, you know, I have to say, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily use it as much as I could do on my work machine, but I use it all the time on my personal machine. It's great. You know, I click the bunch icon, I click the, um, start podcast recording for automators or Mr. Folder or iOS today, or I click the prepare button, um, so that I can prepare things. And that does a different series of actions. 
um, you know, depending on which podcast I'm I'm preparing for. And it, it's just very useful to know that I've got the websites that I need open. I've got, you know, all the things that I need wherever I need them. And it, it does just make it so much easier. So Philip wrote and asked us about uh, uh, a smart garage solution. Um, so, um, or rather told us how he turned his dumb garage into a smart garage for less than $40. Um, because his garage door motor does not al- allow him to access any wires for the controller. It's a really common motor. So he, he thinks that a lot of people have probably got something like this. But he couldn't retrofit something like the Meros opener, which meant that he had to replace the entire garage operating mechanism if he wanted to change it. Except he came up with a better solution for this, which was SwitchBot. So a SwitchBot, um, well, SwitchBot is a company, but the first thing they came out with was the SwitchBot bot. And I have a couple of these. I actually use them for pressing the power button on my washing machine and then pressing the start button on my washing machine uh, now. But I previously used them for turning on and off my kitchen light um, and some other things before I was able to get that light switch replaced. But SwitchBot basically is a little like rectangle with an arm that comes out and it goes down and it presses something and then it goes back up. Um, it can optionally have a little sticker so it can pull something. So if you've got a switch where you have to like push it and then pull it to 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 change it, um, then it can do that. But it can press things. Um, so um, Philip has placed the switch bot on a spare garage key fob. He did try it on the wall switch, but it was a cheap plastic button, so it couldn't press it hard enough. Um, and then he created a, a, a simple shortcut using the SwitchBot actions. Um, and now he has a smart garage. Um, and yeah, he's really happy with this. He is using a SwitchBot hub and if this and that subscription, um, but those aren't necessarily required. Um, if you do have a SwitchBot hub, though, I would recommend, Philip, take a look at Homebridge or Home Assistant because um, they can actually have SwitchBot integration to um, pull, pull those into HomeKit for you so that you can actually have them. Now, they won't, uh, at least in Homebridge, it wouldn't show up as a smart garage. Uh, but let's just say my patio door lock um, shows up as a garage in HomeKit thanks to Home Assistant because I just said, hey, uh, I'm going to make a fake cover, which is a garage door, and add it to HomeKit. And it's just going to unlock my front door for me, like the door that I use is my front door, and it's now on my car dashboard. So that, Philip, is the upgrade that I would suggest to you. And uh, that's free as well. So, you know, uh, call that some holiday homework if you if you want, uh, as this episode is coming out right before the new year. But uh, yeah, it's a great solution. I really, I really like that. I feel like SwitchBot is like the, it, it's like the ultimate, like in case of glass, use SwitchBot. You know, it's like the feature in Keyboard Maestro and says, look for the button on the screen and push it with the image. Yeah, yeah. It is click it image for, for HomeGet. Yeah. yeah, this is the physical version of that SwitchBot. If your coffee maker doesn't work or whatever, get yourself a switch bot and you literally have a little robot arm that does it for you. And um, yeah. I, I keep thinking about what, what do I have in my house that I could put on the switch bot? But I've done a pretty good job of automating and building in the switches where I don't need one. Mm. But there's a part of me that really wants to own a switch bot because I just want to make a little robot arm move once in a while. I don't know. I mean, honestly, David, you should just get one for for the fun you can frequently get them for like 25 dollars on amazon uh, on sale so keep yeah. an eye out for them and honestly you'll probably find something for it i saw somebody the other day uh, somebody shared a tweet with me um that was somebody have had cheaper energy at night time in the uk and for for those folks of you over here in the uk and europe you'll be aware that our energy prices have dramatically increased 
So anything that you can do to save money seems like a good idea. And uh, it turns out they had a switch bot, so they've stuck it on their washing machine, and it now presses the start button at like three o'clock in the morning when it's really cheap, um, or relatively speaking, when it's cheaper to run the washing machine. It's like, of course, you should do this. This is a perfect solution to the problem of I don't have a smart washing machine. Buying a new washing machine is not going to be money saving, but having something that you know, using something like this, which you can repurpose for many other things as well, that will then allow you to to use energy at cheaper times of day absolutely definitely love it you know I, I should get one and then put it on top of one of my akara switches so it will literally <laughs> push a home kit enabled switch <laughs> that seems like overkill but yeah. sure why not why not go for it david <laughs> especially with uh they've got they've got a new beta version um of the software now which you can enable which allows you to overextend the arm so it can actually push it even further forward if that yeah. makes sense because usually it would just come out to to be um parallel yeah. to the bottom of the switch but it can actually press further than that if needed now well, the, uh, another thing philip had said is he's using ifttt to make it work but um uh, you know that that was just kind of his angle to it one question i asked for philip is i think the next thing you need to do is install a sensor or something to give you an indication of when it's open and closed because oh yeah all the, a car door sensor exactly Definitely. you know and then then you can really just have the full experience yeah though actually there are switchbot door sensors as well i've not heard reviews about them so i don't know if they're any good i love my akara ones because they're so ridiculously tiny and it's great for uh, at the moment it yells at me when my kitchen door is left open because i don't have heating in my kitchen so it yells at me when i've got my system set up so i, I get repeated messages of like your kitchen door is left open your kitchen door is still open no seriously the kitchen door is still open you should go close it until i actually get up and close it so the heat doesn't escape and you know what it's worth it yeah i put them on my refrigerator door there's two doors on the refrigerator but they don't always close all the way and um the beep that it makes when the doors open is the exact frequency area of my tinnitus so i don't hear it at all if it's open so i put the switches up i mean on the door the car door switches and then i get an alert if it's open and it's like problem solved you know it's just great and well the akara um hub is such it is such an enabler. Once you put one of those in your house, because you can put something like 150 <laughs> devices on it, and they aren't that expensive. So like any problem you have, that you're like $15 of a car hardware away from solving it, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of awesome, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at some point, David, we'll get you to reduce all the hubs and get rid of the hubs and just go all in on Home Assistant. And I have, have Home to. Assistant as yeah. the hub. But, uh, you know, for the time being, you can still use uh, all of that stuff. So it's it's pretty great. I need to do that. So, so Rose and I did a thing in the Max Berkey Labs because I got my Akara Hub, and but we have been so busy just in the Sparks House with holidays and me uh, with work and just things that have been going on. But I need to spend like a weekend really just like drilling down on that Home Assistant, and I haven't done it yet. So, so for now, I have my stuff connected through HomeKit, but I'm eventually going to move it over. And I, I have more questions for you, Rose. And we're going to do a show nah. on Home Assistant once this is all done. But I want to do this in a way that doesn't mess it up for my family, too, you know, because they all love uh, HomeKit. So I, I have more questions, but we'll, we'll get there. That, we'll put a pin in that. Yes. Yes. Uh, speaking of Home Assistant, though, uh, Robert has sent a message asking about replacing the Logitech Harmony uh, hub or remote. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Logitech had, um, and the past tense of this is important, um, a, project, a, a, a product called the Harmony Hub and the Harmony Remote System, which is basically 
Um, a universal remote with Wi-Fi support so that you can connect to it through Homebridge or a Home Assistant or just the Logitech app on your phone. And it was a smart IR blaster. So it could look at what it needed to send to your TV to say, hey, TV, turn on. Hey, TV, switch to HDMI 1. Hey, TV, volume up. Um, or hey, soundbar, volume up. Um, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where it was an amazing solution for its time. But IR-based macros are kind of unreliable. And that all-important past tense, Logitech had a product. Yeah, they're not making it anymore and they're not selling it anymore. Um, now, Robert has said in, in the email that he sent in that Logitech isn't going to support it forever. I will say caveat to that, um, the squeeze box, which most people have never heard of, but it's a, a Logitech like smart speaker, essentially, Um has been sunset for a very long time. Logitech are still supporting it. Like, it's just about supporting it, but it does still have support. So I don't feel like you need to rush away from Harmony, a hub or remote system anytime soon. I still have mine, but I have been moving away from it as well. Um, and so Robert continues with, I have been watching his HomeKit shortcuts and third-party software like Homebridge and Home Assistant for Immersion Return, and it seems like the infrastructure is out there to replace the Harmony remote. To which I'm going to say, Robert, you're bang on the money. Absolutely right. Um, and so he's given us some details um, of the things that uh, he's got um, and the things that he he wants. So basically, the tasks are pretty much turning on and off the TV um, and changing the AV receiver inputs because the TV stays on HDMI 1. And then he uses a Marantz AV receiver. And he's got a Gen 1 WebOS LG TV with no HomeKit support. Um and other devices don't really need to be switched or powered on, but ideally there could be some kind of device-specific control UI. Um, so the really good news is Marantz and Danon use the same kind of IP control systems. And LGTVs also have HomeKit uh, Home Assistant support. And HomeKit, Home Assistant also has Denon support. So I'm going to say, Robert, that I think you should take a look at Home Assistant for this. Because I'm sure you could do this in Homebridge, but I know that Home Assistant definitely has ways to integrate with a lot of stuff. If it doesn't have a native support for your version of the LG TV, I'm going to bet a, a significant chunk um, of my certainty that somebody out there has made a third-party integration for this. So that you're going to be able to control the TV and the receiver and I'm pretty certain that some people will have made some nice cards um, that you can use in the Home Assistant app to control this. I know I've got a number of different ones for my TVs and so on, because I've got a, a Philips TV and a Samsung TV. Um, and I can control both of those, um, you know, completely. So I think that Home Assistant is where you should be looking for this, because uh, it can it can control both of the devices that you you have as your primary devices. And then you've got other options as well. It can also integrate with the Apple TV um, so you've got that. I'm not sure what options you've got on your Blu-ray player, but I, it should be able to send things through, say, HDMI CEC to that. So I, I would definitely take a look there and see what you can do. But there's going to be a lot of choices. And best part, you can share this back to HomeKit as a media player so that you actually can just control it from the command center on or the control center, sorry, on your iPhone or iPad if you wanted to. What are you using for your blaster? So I'm not. Nowadays, I actually am just using HDMI CEC. Um, so I have um, I have the Apple TV. Uh, I have my Philips um, uh, TV as my main TV. And in the bedroom, I've got a Samsung Frame TV. 
Um, and uh, in my living room, I have a Bose soundbar. Now, the Bose soundbar could be controlled through HDMI CEC, but because I've also got a Nintendo Wii and Nintendo Switch and a couple of other things, I kind of ran out of HDMI ports. So I've got it connected through an optical cable. Uh, instead. Um, But I was able to configure the Bose soundbar to just go into a sleep mode so it stays on all the time. Um, And it it doesn't use any power really at all while it's asleep. But then when the TV turns on, it wakes up and it turns on. And turning the Apple TV on turns the TV on because it's using HDMI CEC. Similarly, when I sleep the Apple TV, it turns off the TV. Um, So that works perfectly. And I just have the, uh, the volume up and down buttons on the Apple TV know that they're, they need to talk to the soundbar. I trained them to talk to the soundbar, and that was it. Done. Um, in the bedroom, I didn't even need to do that because uh, the TV, the Apple TV specifically, is outputting to my HomePod minis in the bedroom. Um, so it controls the volume on those natively. But um, yeah, I didn't need to do anything else, but I also don't have an EV receiver in there. Um, but previously, I didn't have an even vaguely smart HDMI TV. It was a uh, 12 plus year old Samsung. Um, it didn't have internet. It was basically just a large HDMI panel. Uh, yeah. and it was great. It was totally fine, but it wouldn't turn on when like the Apple TV turned on. So I was using the, uh, the Logitech remote for that, but unfortunately that TV died. So I replaced it with a Philips, uh, gradient, uh, TV. So it's got like a, the color lights built into the back of it that change color depending on what's on screen. Um, and those are only available over here in Europe. Sorry, folks over in the northern United States, you can't get one of those. You have to buy the gradient strip separately. Um, but uh, yeah, I love it. it. It works really, really well for me. And honestly, it's a very simple system, um, which sometimes is the best solution. Uh, I completely get why um, somebody might have something like the Moran CV receiver. Those are great. Um, I personally don't have a need for one, but I can also see why people would definitely want them because it can, you know, deal with things like a turntable input, Sonos Connect, and so on as well, which is brilliant. I'm curious about adding a, a blaster to the studio. I just haven't done the research yet. Like, I understand, like, some of the Acara hubs can do it too. Like, I could run... Um, Yeah, they kind of can. What I would recommend personally is a Broadlink IR blaster. If you want to go for the IR route, the, the only problem is, as Robert has pointed out, is IR macros are kind of flaky, as in, like... It just sends a command and it assumes that it was listened to and heard. Yeah. Um, and depending on what that device is that you're sending the command to and how it's programmed, that command may actually end up doing the inverse of what you hope sure. for. So turn depending it on, on or, yeah, turn. yeah, so it may turn it on instead of turning it off because the turn on and turn off is actually a toggle um, instead of, um, you know, sending two discrete commands. So it really depends on, you know, the device as to uh, and how it's been programmed as how it works. But the Broadlink IR blasters um, are definitely like the the one that I always see recommended. I have a little one in my kitchen um, and it would it does control my kitchen TV, but I don't actually have my kitchen TV plugged in at the moment because it's just not got decent volume. Um, So it's not impossible to actually listen to something while you're cooking, which I feel kind of defeats the point. So I'd much rather take my iPad in there and connect some headphones. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Well, Well, how's that for a little feedback on the Automators podcast? I I think 
I think it's pretty good. Um, the only problem is, David, did you did you look at the spreadsheet? Because there's like 476 more lines to yes, go. Yes, I, <laughs> I know. So, you know, so, some of this stuff is is just folks saying, you know, thanks for things and so on. But we are going to be going through way more feedback in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to do this every couple of months next year, David. But you know what? That sounds like a pretty good New Year's resolution to me. Yeah. And if you've got feedback, you can get it to us multiple ways. Uh, probably the easiest way is on Twitter. Just uh, send a tweet with uh, ask ask the automators. What's the hashtag again? Ask automators. Well, if 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 you tweet um, and you uh, use the automators FM uh, handle on Twitter, then it will pop in there. Uh, yeah. If you are no longer on Twitter because you've moved off to Mastodon and so on, um, I will be getting a link to our uh, Mastodon uh, account up ASAP. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have one yet, uh, but you will be. You'll have to tag us in 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 your toot um, so that uh, we'll actually see it. Uh, Hashtags across instances kind of weird, but if you if you tooted us, then we will get it when we have a handle. But I will get that up asap. Um, other than that, you can use the the email option, which if you go to relay.fm/automators, there's a way of getting in touch with us there yeah. that will definitely get through to us. And uh, yeah, of course, posting in the forums always appreciated. You can go to talk.automators.fm, and there's a post for every episode. So if you've got feedback on a specific episode, you can just go and post on that. Or if you've got a, a longer question or something feel free to create a whole post on uh separately for that but uh yeah it's definitely something that uh you should be checking out if you want to talk to some other fellow automation nerds um or want to be nerds in some cases and uh yeah i i really love our firms david it's such a wonderful place to be we are the automators you can find us at relay.fm slash automators as promised this episode was given to you ad free and here is the additional automators max content happy new year everybody So, David, how much does your energy cost you at the moment? Because my bill seems to have gone up massively recently, and uh, I've been trying to automate it away, which has been working, I should say. Well, you know, of course, you know, with uh, with the war going on in Europe, uh, energy prices are through the roof right now. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are becoming more conscious of it. And, of course, Rosemary Orchard is going to bring her automation skills to bear. Uh, what are, What are you doing, Rose? Well, uh, first thing that I did was look at all the things that were just like running that maybe didn't need to be running. Um, and so I went around and I've tweaked like things like my thermostats and so on so that my rooms don't necessarily heat as much as they may have done otherwise. Um, so, you know, it's only the room that I'm in that's actually heating to a comfortable temperature and the others are, you know, enough that when I go in, I can say, okay, like, I mean, I'm going to be in this room for a while now, like switch the heating to here and it's doing it manually now um it's it's one of those things where uh i i was previously automating it based on you know hey this room seems to be occupied rather than me actively saying i'm gonna be in here for a while and so i decided that uh, as much as i love the automated solution I wasn't going to do that. Uh, there, there are two exceptions. If I if I turn the TV on, so I'm going to be watching TV, then it, it assumes that I'm going to be in the living room for a while. And if I go to bed, um, it assumes that I'm going to be asleep for a while. And so it, it keeps that room to a comfortable temperature automatically. So I don't have to manually do that. But um, that, you know, the TV, the, the living room one turns off when the TV turns off and the, the, the bedroom one turns off when either I get up for work or when I'm supposed to get up for work. So if I leave it too long, it's going to be a little chillier in the mornings. Um, but yeah, so I started with, you know, the obvious of adjust the automations for things like that. But then the next place I looked was, okay, like something's costing me money here. Um, what's costing me all this money? 
and and how. And uh, so I've been on a bit of a smart plug, uh, energy monitoring smart plug uh, research yeah. mission, David, because sure. it turns out there's a lot of energy monitoring smart plugs out there, and a lot of them are just rubbish. They're awful. Um, they're pretty much all using uh, something called Toya, T-U-Y-A. So they, they, they come with this either, it'll tell you to download the Toya app or it'll tell you to download the Smart Life app. They are one of the same folks. Uh, you know, they look different, but they're, they're all using the same system. And uh, yeah, it sends all your data back to China um, and Great. doesn't Great. even let you integrate it with other systems, not properly or not guaranteed anyway. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing some research, but I found some great places uh, that have been been selling and making available other ones. And I found out what is costing me the most money every day. And would you believe it? It's my computers. Uh, yeah. Despite the fact that I've got a Mac studio, uh, I've got uh, Intel Mac uh, for work, which is obviously going to be using a bit. Uh, I've got my Synology running and so on. And they're all pretty much running through the same EPS. And that's costing me the most amount of money, but that's only just over a pound a day. So I think I'm doing all right with that. I have to say, I kind of wish I still had an Intel like Mac Pro of some kind, because that would also be heater as well yeah. as <laughs> a uh, as well as a computer system. You know, like snuggling a Mac Mini uh, or a Mac Studio just doesn't seem quite as um you know smart. Um, but it's really interesting when you when you actually break things down so that you see. You know, this individual device is costing me X amount because um, I thought it was going to be a lot cheaper to run my dehumidifier to dry my clothes and so on than it was to run my tumble dryer. Turns out I'm very much wrong on this. It's way cheaper to run my tumble dryer than it is to run my uh, dehumidifier. So I have been tumble drying things more than I have been dehumidifying things. Like I'm still running the dehumidifier to make sure that my house doesn't uh, get to a a, a, a swamp-like level where mold starts growing and so on, you know, that would that would cause other problems. But I'm I'm definitely not using it to dry my laundry anymore because it turns out that's more expensive, which is not great. But hey, I found that out thanks to some smart plugs. Yeah, it's kind of cool, though, that you were able to do that, right? Because you always think yeah. you know what is using up all the energy, but it's only once you get the data that you know. Mm-hmm. And then, exactly. And then, and then the other nice thing is because they're smart plugs, you can do more than just get the data. You can actually turn them off and on and be yeah. smarter about it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my microwave, like every soft I get a little power blip and there's a clock on my microwave and I can't turn off the clock on my microwave. But the thing that will consistently confuse me is when the clock on my microwave is wrong, um, especially when it's wrong by not a lot or a, ver- a, a huge amount, you know, like if it's... If it's off by like four hours or something, it's fine. But if it's off by like six or more, for some reason, it breaks my brain. If it's off by less than an hour, it really confuses me. Um, And so I have been able to uh, actually take advantage of the fact that I was monitoring how much uh, energy my microwave costs me, which when I'm not using it is a grand total of nothing per day. So I'm I'm really pleased about that. Um, But um, I was able to say, hey, by the way, if we get a power blip, like... Schedule the microwave to turn off at like 58 minutes past midnight and then back on at 1 a.m. Um, so what happens is, you know, if there's a power blip, it will turn off uh, the microwave then at, you know, like two minutes to one in the morning. And then it turns it back on at one o'clock in the morning because when you when you turn it off and turn it back on again, the time automatically resets to 1 a.m. And that has completely and utterly solved my microwave having the wrong time problem. So yay, bonus, um, which is good. And also my freezer... 
uh, has been a little bit flaky recently. Uh, fortunately, we've had a lot of snow and ice over here, so I was not too worried. I was thinking, you know, worst case scenario, I can go out and bury my Ben and Jerry's in the snow outside for a little bit while I figure out the freezer problem. Um, and I was able to figure out, you know, like, oh, my freezer is not drawing any energy and it hasn't been doing it for like half an hour. I need to go check on it. And uh, it turns out that there were, were two problems. There was a broken LED, which is still broken, which tells me that the freezer is on and working. <laughs> Great. Uh, and the other problem is, uh, well, the dials is a little bit flaky and I just needed to turn it a little bit more um, towards uh, a cooler temperature. And now it works consistently and everything's fine. So yay for smart plugs because I saved, my, saved myself the pain of, oh no, my freezer's broken and I've lost all of my frozen food uh, thanks to that. And I no longer have an incorrect clock on my microwave. Plus my dehumidifier stopped costing me, I think it was costing me pound fifty a day at one point. It's like, okay, that is a lot of energy to run a dehumidifier, um, which doesn't need to be running all the time. So yeah, saving some money and uh, being a nerd about it at the same time. All right. Well, listen, gang, uh, I, we usually don't talk much about Automators Max, but we're at the end of the year, and I just wanted to thank everybody for your support as Automators Max subscribers. It really helps Rose and I out. We love making the show, and you help make that happen. Everybody have a happy new year, and we'll be back next year with more automation. Goodbye, folks. <laughs>